Today we're continuing our series called More Than a Story. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, this is a series based on the parables that Jesus tells. And the reality that they are more than just temporary stories or just stories he invented. In, in fact, they, they have deep, deep meaning. And today we're coming to a story that, uh, that's really important for you to understand the context of the story. Because what we've done over the years, over the centuries since Jesus walked the face of the earth is, is we've told the stories and retold the stories and retold the stories until we think we know the story when in reality we, we don't necessarily know the story because we don't know the context in which Jesus shared the story. We, we forget to read the surrounding verses in the scripture. We, we fail to understand the cultural context of these stories that, that Jesus utilized to be able to help people understand what it means to serve God. And so this morning, we're gonna talk about a, a story that Jesus told about a great banquet. I don't know if you've ever been invited to, uh, to a dinner or not. Uh, if you've ever been the guest speaker or you were an honored guest at, at a dinner. I get invited to lots of dinners, uh, lots of things. And I've been, I mean, wedding receptions, red, rehearsal dinners, uh, different places. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've been seated and you know, I come in and someone says, oh, Dr. Robinson, you're here. You want to come and have this place. And then there have been other times when I've walked in and like, who are you and why are you here? Um, and, and then, uh, you know, you, you kind of find those rooms. But, but I, I do remember one particular dinner that, that kind of fits the story of where Jesus was this day. It, it happened in my first church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. My wife had gone home to visit with her family, and after the morning service, uh, one of the older members of our congregation came to me and said, hey, I noticed your wife was gone today, and uh, would you like to come over? My whole family gathers for Sunday lunch at my son's house. And uh, I just wondered if we could invite you to come. Now, here were my options. The options were to go get chicken, or go get a burger, or go eat with this family. And I'm like, that's hands down. That's a great choice, right? I'm, I'm going to eat with a home-cooked meal. And because I knew this man had like eight kids, and they were all adults, and they were like, you know, their spouses and their kids and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. So there were like 30 people in this house. And all the adults, as I say, they were grown. They actually were all business owners in our community there in Chattanooga. And uh, very strong people, very, very powerful uh, movers and shakers. And I was like, hey, okay, I'm, I'm a young pastor. It's a great way to get. And so I, I got the uh, address of the house and I showed up and they welcomed me in. And, and there was all this scurrying around with, with the mama and the daughters and the granddaughters in the kitchen and the men were all watching football and they're doing that. And when suddenly all this conversation's going and I hear a sound, it went like this. And conversation stopped. I mean, everybody stopped talking. Just, whoa. And then they began to scurry. And they, they came in, and my host, the man who had invited me, is sitting, he's in his late 80s, and he's sitting on a chair, and he's got a cane. And that sound was him pounding the cane on the floor. And everybody stopped. I mean, grown people, adult people, he pounded the floor, everybody came running, all the little kids were quieted down, and then they said, okay. And he said, all right, we're here to give God thanks for the food. The pastor's here today, reverend, pray. 
Yes, sir. You know, I was afraid he was going to hit me with the, with the thing. Well, in this story that Jesus tells about the great banquet, he, he's in the same kind of setting except a little different. It's a Sabbath day. He's been invited to dinner at the house of a Pharisee. In fact, one of the rulers of the synagogue, a guy that was pretty high up in that little village. And as he gets into the house, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 14 that, that when Jesus showed up, the Pharisee had invited him because all the Pharisees were trying to keep an eye on Jesus. See, Jesus had been doing miracles. He'd been healing people. He'd been, he'd been speaking truth into their lives. And, and, and so they were curious. And, and he had done some things that had offended them. And, and now they're looking at him. And it was, was kind of like they're all looking at him going, okay, you know, Jesus, I'm looking at you, okay? I'm watching you wherever you go. And so Jesus knows they're watching him, Luke tells us. And, and then he sees a guy, a guy that, that quite honestly might not belong there because he's, he's, um, he's not healthy. He's got something Luke calls dropsy, which uh, basically is like fluid that's come in the joints of your limbs and causes you to, to just not be able to have the freedom of movement. And, and so... Jesus knows they're watching him. And so he turns to his host and the other Pharisees gathered. And he says, Are, is it lawful in your world for me to heal a man on the Sabbath? Now Jesus is setting them up because they've already been on his case about this on previous Sabbath days. He's been healing people in the synagogues, in the temple, on the Sabbath. <laughs> And so he turns to them, he knows, he knows he's about to offend them, but he turns and looks at them and says, is it, is it lawful in your mind, the way you see the Bible, is, is it okay for me to heal on the Sabbath? And here's what happens. Stone cold silence. They're just like, they look at him. And they're not answering. So then he looks at them and says, now which one of you, if your child or your livestock fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, you wouldn't go get your child out of that ditch or you wouldn't go get your livestock out of that ditch. And again, stone silence. The answer is obvious. He knows they would. He's probably already seen them doing it. And he goes, then if, if you would do that for your child or for your livestock, how much more do you think your heavenly father would love his children? And he reaches out and he heals the man. And now suddenly the table turns because they brought Jesus there to watch Jesus, to keep an eye on Jesus, to keep him from breaking the rules, to, to figure out who he was. They, they were trying to watch him and make him slip up. And now suddenly Luke tells us Jesus starts watching them. I kind of love that. It's like maybe you've been one of those people, well, I'm gonna check out this Jesus thing. Listen, Jesus is watching you too. And and. And when Jesus starts watching them, here's what he sees. He sees that as they come into the house, they're all kind of jostling about and trying to kind of move around to get what are referred to as the seats of honor. Everybody wants to be in. See, these, these, people, had, these people had a position kind of thing in their life. And, and they were trying to get in a place where they could be seen, where they could be noticed. Before there were influencers, there were Pharisees, Okay. But before there were people with personal brands, there were Pharisees. And they wanted to be noticed. 
And they wanted to be found out and they, and they wanted people to know who they were and that they were at this party and they were at this Sabbath and the gathering and, and, the, and, and Jesus looks at them and he says, I, I need to tell y'all something. He said, you know what? If you're invited to, to a dinner like this, you, you, you probably don't need to kind of get the, the seats of honor up next to the host. Because what could happen is that somebody who is worthy of more honor, somebody who's got a bigger reputation, somebody who's got a bigger pocketbook, somebody the host wanted there before they invited you could show up and they're gonna now embarrass you because they're gonna make you move from the being up next to the host back down to the length of the table because these, these dinners would be set up in like a U shape and the host would be in the middle and, and the people on his right and his left, they, they, were, they were the ones who were his closest friends. They were the ones of honor and and those who were around the corner of the table and down the length of the table, no, that was just, it kind of was a pecking order. And so it's in that setting where Jesus has been watched and now Jesus turns and starts watching them and says, hey, look, you need to like change what's going on here because you're gonna embarrass yourself. You're gonna get, you're gonna get embarrassed that, that then suddenly a guy in the crowd, because that's an awkward moment, right? I mean, it's an awkward moment when the guy you've invited, because you want to watch him, now starts watching you and starts saying to you, you know what, what you're doing is setting yourself up for failure. What you're doing is setting yourself up for some pain, and, and you need to not do that. And in that moment, then in that awkward space, there's always some guy, there's always somebody who's trying to like ease the awkwardness, Right? like tell a funny story, do something, just anything to break the silence because, because these guys are looking at Jesus and this room is full of tension. And so this one guy yells out, blessed is the one who eats bread in the kingdom of God. Oh, he should not have said that. Because now Jesus has an entree into telling them what the, what the kingdom of God really is. And it's in that moment when, he, when, he, when, when this man says it, after Jesus has healed a man in the face of people who thought he shouldn't heal. After Jesus has started watching people who invited him there to be watched, and he said to them, look, the way you're doing things is not right. Then it's in that moment when this guy yells it out, trying to break the tension, that, that, that Jesus tells the parable of the great banquet. Listen. As I read it from Luke chapter 14, if you'd like to follow along, the passage will be on the screens or there are Bibles, if you prefer, in the, in the rack in the chair in front of you. Uh, or if you brought your own, you can read along with me. When the man blurted it out, blessed is the one who eats bread in the kingdom of God, Luke tells us, but Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many people. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another one said, I, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And, and another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. <laughs> So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. 
And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has already been done. And still there is room in, in the house. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, why did Jesus tell them that story? What, what, what's he trying to say when this guy blurts out, bless this, he who eats bread in the kingdom of God? What's he trying to say to the people who brought him there to watch him? What's he trying to say to the man that he healed? Why would he tell this story? Well, I would suggest to you this morning that, that, that he would tell that story because they already knew the story. See, they, they knew the story because it was in the Talmud, in the Jewish literature. And it was, it was a different meaning of the story, much like we've talked before. Some of these parables, some of these stories that Jesus tells, he didn't just create them out of thin air. He didn't just make them up. No, no, they, these were stories that the people knew, but the people, the people had learned the incorrect meaning of them. You see, in this, this story, what had happened was that, that years before, there was a story written in the Talmud that, that, that talked about a tax collector. Now, if you don't understand the, the role of a tax collector in first century Israel, you're missing it. <laughs> You'll miss the whole story. See, a tax collector was a traitor. A tax collector was a Jewish person hired by the Roman government to take money for Roman taxes from Jewish people, and then he would be able to keep the excess. He would skim off the top. He didn't dare skim off the Romans, so he would charge the Jewish people more. And so he was considered a traitor. He was an outcast. He was considered unclean by the Jewish people. Now, now that you know that, you have to understand the power of the story and the way the people hearing Jesus in that room that day understood it. Because when Jesus began to tell the story, they're like, oh, I know this story. See, there was this story of a, of a tax collector who had lived a horrible life. He wronged people, he stole from people, he lied to people. He was not a good man. And he wanted to be accepted by the powerful people, like the Pharisee's house where Jesus was. And so one day he, he issued an invitation. He, he issued an invitation to the powerful people in the town to come to his house. And he laid out a whole, a whole table full of food. And the, and the people, the, the, the people he wanted to, to have in his house, they said, sure, we'll come. Just give us the reminders. It's kind of like this. There's, there's an RSVP that, that you have to fill out when you're going to go somewhere. This is not a save the date, okay? Save the date. I, I've learned save the date means get the date and then wait for the invitation. The invitation comes, and that's an RSVP, so you need to reserve your spot and so you get the, the, the RSVP and said, okay, I'm coming. These people had already filled out the RSVP. It's the day of, but here's what happens. Between the time they said it, they got together and they said, you know what? This guy doesn't belong with us. He doesn't belong where we are. He's not like us. He's a tax collector. We don't like him. And so they decided they would do like eighth grade girls. They would bully people, okay? You, have, you ever, have you ever seen eighth grade girls when they get really mean at each other? Now, I'm sure eighth grade guys would do the same thing. We'd just never figure it out until the ninth or tenth grade, okay? But I, I mean, when I was in junior high, middle school, I, I still remember they had, I mean, this, is, this is before social media, obviously, all right? 
They had something they called slam books. Maybe some of you older folks will remember those, all right? But girls would write things about other girls in those books. They would slam them. They would say things about each other. It was nasty stuff, okay? And they would all kind of get together. When they decided there was one girl they didn't like, they could make her the outcast. I've, I've seen guys do the same thing, ladies. Please don't. It's not a sexist remark. It's just an illustration, all right? And these guys said, to, to, you know what? We're not gonna go. This tax collector, we don't like him. We don't like what he's doing. So we're all gonna tell him we're coming, but then we're not gonna go. And so the parable, the story in the Talmud, just like the parable Jesus is telling, because he's using the same story, except he's not talking about tax collector. And he says, the invitations went out, and the servant was sent, and the servant began to, to get the same kind of things. I, I've had this happen, I've had this happen, I've had this, and it made the tax collector mad. And the tax collector then invited all the lame and broken people in the city, the poor, into, and he fed them. Now here's the point of the story in the Talmud. In the middle of the feast, in the middle of the feast, the tax collector dies. Now, he had just done a really good thing. It was a great thing to feed the poor. It was a great thing to, to bring the lame and the crippled into the house and feed them a meal. It was a great thing. It was a good deed. And he died in the middle of doing a good deed. And the way the Talmud represented it was that because he did that, because he died when he was doing a good deed, it erased all the bad deeds he had previously done. And the people of the city were like, this was such a great thing. We need to throw a big celebration for this man because this man is going to be with God because he died in the middle of doing, he had no chance to undo the good. He died doing good. He must be with God. And so they throw a big party. But in the same day, on the same day that the tax collector died, in the middle of doing his good deed, his one good deed, there was a young, a young student, a young scholar, a young rabbi in the same town who lived meagerly, who lived in, in those kind of situations where it's hand to mouth and he's trying to figure out how to do, he, he, you know, he, but he died he had lived his life devoted to God. He hadn't done any of the evil things the tax collector had done. He had done all the good things. And in the Talmud, what happens is this. The, 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 the city is held up for rebuke because they, they honored the man they thought was with God and they failed to honor the man with God. So when Jesus, on this Sabbath day, starts telling the story, there once was a man who was throwing a, a party and a, and a feast and he, he sent out when the food was ready but the people had already responded, and the first man said, excuse me, but I, I can't come. The people, the people in the room, they're like, we know this story. We know where this is going. But Jesus didn't take it there because Jesus understood something. He understood that, that power and position are overcome by compassion and relationship in the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus is telling the parable because some man blurts out, blessed is he who eats bread in the kingdom of God. And so what does he do? He, he starts telling a story about the kingdom of God. See, the man opened the door for Jesus to tell him truth. And now Jesus starts telling him, look, it's not about some bad tax collector who did a good deed and then got to go to heaven because he did a good deed. You know, it, it, it's about all of us. 
and the fact that we've all been invited into the kingdom of God. There is a table, there is a banquet. It's set for you. Your name is on a chair. You have a place card. You have an invitation. But you, you have to choose whether or not to actually come to the table. See, what happens for us is, is that we, we fail to understand, like the people in that room fail to understand. The power and position are not what gets you into the kingdom of God. Instead, it is compassion and relationship with God and each other. And that, and that, that compassion and that relationship always, always overcomes power and position. See, that, that we, some, you hear me say that and everybody's like, well, yeah, yeah, the, you know, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. <laughs> I've heard that for years in the church. Everybody's welcome. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. But then I watch church people, and we don't live like ground is level at the foot of the cross. What happens is this. We, we go, okay, yeah, we all come to Jesus, but then we start building on the cross. We start making stair steps to try to be closer to Jesus. We start trying to be more spiritual. We, we use this spiritual language. We, we have the insider language. And people who don't know our insider language, they're just going, what are you people talking about? We measure how, you know, I, I still remember a guy one time earlier in my ministry, I heard a pastor who said one Sunday morning, if you don't pray for one hour a day, don't call me or any of my associates. You haven't talked to God. And when I say one hour, I don't mean 59 minutes. You be on your knees for one full 60-minute hour or don't come talk to us. Because you gotta talk to God first. And here's what he didn't say. He had an eighth grade education. He was a very intelligent man. He was self-taught. But he was actually very insecure about whether or not he could talk and help people with their problems. So he covered it in spiritual language. See, in the church, we, we fail to understand when Jesus throws the party, when Jesus has the banquet, when the kingdom of God is real, it's driven not by our power, our position, it's driven by our compassion and God's compassion for us. For those who seek power and position in the life of the church, they end up missing the compassion and the relationships. Because you see, that's why Jesus told them, don't try to get to the first seat of honor. Start at the end of the table. And if the host wants you to come to the top, if the host wants you to be at his side, then he'll come and invite you. And so when Jesus starts telling the parable, oh, and by the way, these people would have also known that all three of these guys were, well, two of them definitely, one of them we think, were quite wealthy. Because you see the one that said, well, I've just bought land. Hey, if you, if, if you, buy, if you were buying land in the first century, you had money. In fact, I would tell you, if you own property now, globally, and compared to the global economy, compared to all the other millions of people who live on the face of the earth, if you're a property owner, you're in the upper percentage of people on, the place, on this planet. Now, I know some of you are like, well, Pastor, I, I mean, I, I got a house, but the bank holds the mortgage. Yeah, I, I know, but even then, you're still in the upper percentage. The majority of people living on this planet don't own property. This man said, I can't come because I got to go inspect the property. He was a wealthy man. The other one said, I've got five team of oxen I need to go. I need to go look at those five, five sets of oxen, that, those teams. Now, you need to know, a normal wealthy farmer in that era would have one set of oxen. 
and the normal farm size would be one, one set of oxen could take care of that. He just bought five. That tells you he's five times wealthier than the normal people. And then the guy who just got married, remember this. He had already accepted the invitation and he knew he was getting married. So why, why does Jesus tell these things? To make fun of those who are wealthy or to, to put them down? No, 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 no. What he's saying is this. There are things that can get in between you and God. God has given you an invitation. God, is, God has made the invitation. You, you have an invitation. The invitation you have comes from Jesus Christ, who was God's one and only son. The invitation was, was given to you at Calvary. When he hung on a cross and he, and he died for your sins. The invitation was given to you when as they're beating him and as they are crucifying him and as he's dying, he looks out at the people who are, who are just horribly beating him and says, Father, forgive them. See, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter where you are, no matter where you're going, the reality is God has given you an invitation. He's, he's, he's given you an invitation and he's inviting you. And some of you, some of us have, we, we've said yes to that. Yes, God, I'm gonna, but then when, when God comes and says, okay, you said yes to me and now the invitation, the food is on the table, it's time. The kingdom is at hand. The banquet is ready. Come be a part. We suddenly get busy with anything from land to family to oxen, whatever it is in your world. And, and, and see, when you understand that the kingdom is really about compassion and relationship with God and him with you and you with others, then what happens is you begin to, to be like Jesus was in that, in that Pharisee's house when he saw a man who was sick and his heart was moved with compassion and he brought healing and wholeness to the man. Because you see, healing and wholeness are experienced in the kingdom of God. And they're experienced individually, like for this man, but, but they are also experienced corporately. They're also experienced in the healing of relationships. I, I, uh, I believe with all my heart that God is at work healing a world after a pandemic. I believe that there's amazing need for that healing. The, the implications of the pandemic, we, we are still discovering all the different mental health and physical health and relational health issues out of the last three years. And the fact is, God looks at us, Jesus looks at us and says, I wanna heal you. I wanna forgive you. I wanna make you whole. I wanna help you be the person you were created to be. I sat this week with some of our staff, with the director of a ministry located here in Madison County. The name of the ministry is Grace Horizon. It's a ministry to survivors 
of sexual of sex trafficking. And and as I listened to the the lady who was talking to us, I've known her since she was a college student. She's a very intelligent woman who spent almost 15 years of her life in Europe with her husband serving people there who were in the same situation as the women she's serving here in Madison County. She, she looked at me and she said, Pastor Kerry, you need to know that in Madison County and Delaware County, Madison County and Delaware, I'm not talking LA, I'm not talking New York, I'm not talking somewhere near a international border, I'm talking Madison County, Indiana, and Delaware County, Indiana. There are approximately 250 women who are being sex trafficked. Their, their traffickers control their life. And what we're trying to do is to, is to help these women who have been in this system and those who are coming out of that system discover that they can be whole, they can be healed, they can, they can find a new way to live. And, and what we're finding is that that's a, that's a long process, but it's a good process. And as she described their process to me, I was, was so blown away by the, the integrity and the depth of thought and the compassion and the mercy that this organization is giving to those women. And I said, how many, how many women are you? Because you gotta know there are men who are being sex trafficked, two men and boys, and they're not in those numbers. This organization right now, it currently, is, is only working with, with these women. I said, how many of those 250 are you guys actually working with? She said, well, on a regular basis, we have about 33 ladies right now. And it just blew me away. It blew me away because that's over 10%. That, that, to over 10% that this organization is working with of, of, a, of, a, of a group within our community, within our space of world, in the place where we live, who have been abused, who have been broken, who are being crippled by the sin of others. They're being dehumanized. They're being made to be objects rather than people. And then I, I, I watched the, 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 the newsreels over the weekend and the, and, and the horrible situation in Memphis with, with Tyree Nichols, remembering the flashbacks to other places and, and other times and other things, things I talked with you about when George Floyd was murdered in Minnesota. For me, the flashbacks are real, going back to living in Mississippi in the 1970s, going to middle school less than two miles from the Jackson State campus where the Jackson State riots took place. This has been something my entire life. I've watched people be treated as objects rather than people. And as I, as I spoke with her and as I watched the events over the weekend and I, and I began to once again understand that the moment we began to view other people as objects rather than as children of God, we fail to be children who please our heavenly father. Because the fact of the matter is Every person, no matter how deep their pain, no matter how hideous their sin, was made in the image of God. And choices have been made, and you and I have the same choice to make. And what 
Jesus is saying to the people in the room is the man with the man with the with the dropsy, the man who I need to heal. He's just as valuable. In fact, he's more valuable than your animals, and he's just as valuable as your children. And he's more valuable than your power and your position. And he is worthy of being healed. And this morning, what I want you to hear from me is that whoever you are and wherever you're from, Jesus Christ is here to heal you. The invitation has already been given. And even if you haven't RSVP'd, you can. And if you have RSVP'd, you need to know there, there is a moment coming where the Spirit of God will knock on your heart, and it may be today, and it may be tomorrow, and the Spirit of God will say, the table is ready. Your place at the table is ready. Now come, and you have a choice to make in that moment. The choice you have to make in that moment is, will I make an excuse and do what I think is more important than responding to the invitation of God? Because you see, Everyone has a seat at the table in the kingdom of God unless we turn down the invitation. Because you see, that's how Jesus finishes the parable. Unlike the Talmud, which finishes the parable with the fact that the tax collector, you know, had a party and the young scholar didn't have a party and the city, the city was bad. No, no. What, what Jesus does is he says, Hey, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them. I know you've already brought all the people in the city into the table. I know there are people sitting there, but, but you gotta go, you gotta go out even beyond the city limits. Go out into the country. Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel the people. And I have to tell you, that word compel is huge. Because in the places where I've been in the world, and God has allowed me to be on five continents and serve people in multiple settings, here's what I know crosses every culture. People who don't think they belong are really hesitant to come to places where somebody's gonna tell them they don't belong. And the poor and the crippled and the lame often feel that they don't belong. And so when you invite them in, they're like, oh, that's nice for you, but I'm not coming <laughs> I don't need that. I got my own little life right here. I know where the boundaries are, and I'm not going. But see, when, when Jesus tells the parable, and he says, you know, the, the, the master of the, of the house said, go and compel them from the highways and the hedges. In the old King James that I learned as a kid, it said, in the highways and the byways. That word compel, it means take the hand and gently lead them. It doesn't mean force them in. It doesn't mean chastise them. It doesn't mean castigate them with everything. No, 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 no. Listen, it means love them, compel them, gently take their hand because you got to know they don't think they belong. And if that's who you are today and you're watching us online or if that's who you are today and you're sitting in one of these chairs, if that's who you are today and you watch us later this week on demand, I need you to know there's a place at the table for you. And your place is just as important as my place. And your place, in fact, your place is just as important as any Christian celebrity or pastor that you've ever heard about. 
Your place is as important as anyone who's ever written a book about Jesus. Your place is as important as Peter and James and John. Because in the kingdom, in the kingdom, there's room at the table and everybody has a seat. The question is simply this. Will you say yes to the invitation? Because that's the way Jesus closed the parable. Do you remember what I read? What you saw on the screens? He said, go get and compel the people in the, in the hedges and the highways to come in. Go outside the city. You've already got the people in the city. Go outside the city. Compel them to come in. Because the people who said no will not have a seat. See, the only way you don't get a seat at the table is if you decline it. The only way you don't have a place in the heart of God is if you say to God, I don't want that. See, his heart is big enough for you. His, his heart is for you. The only way you don't get in is if you choose to walk away. And so this morning, I just want to invite you to say yes. I, you've already filled out the RSVP. Go ahead. Quit putting it off. It's real simple. You just simply say, hey, Jesus, I want to sit at your table. So here I am. All of me. Everything in me. And feel the hand of God compelling you by His Spirit and leading you to your place at the table. If you're on campus, would you stand with me? See you. 
Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to. Would you pray with me? If you're here today and as I've been talking, you're like, you know what? I've kind of been saying no to that invitation. And you'd like right now to say, yeah, I'm coming to the table. Just wherever you are, the balcony, main floor, whether you're here for the first time or the 500th time. 
if you just want to slip up your hand and say, hey, pastor, would you pray for me? I need to do that. I'll be glad to do anything. Okay? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today we thank you that no matter who we are or where we are, where we're from or where we're going, that you invite us to your table through your son, Jesus Christ. That no matter what's happened to us or even, Lord, what we have done to someone else, you are the one who heals, forgives, restores, remakes us in your own image. And so for for those who are here today on campus or online or even later this week on demand, who are hearing your spirit compel them to the table, I pray that you would give them strength that you would give them courage to say yes, to come to the table, to give their life to you, to follow you with all they are. And Lord, may all of our lives give you praise by the way that we live. For it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we pray.